Exodus chapter number 17. We'll be starting at verse number 8 when we get there. You know, this, uh, with everything that's going on, and I keep coming back around to this, but I just can't help but see all the changes that are happening today. And, and, and I can't help but, you know, think about the, the, the worries that we may be seeing in the future or that we may not be. I mean, but people looking outside and looking at the world, they, they, they start to think it's unstable. But we have one stability. We have our rock, Jesus Christ. Now, before you get to Exodus 17, there's a story in there about Moses and the, and the Israelites, and they were thirsting for the water, and, and they were crying about going back to Egypt. You know, coming out of Egypt is coming out of the world. And uh, they'd been delivered from slavery. They'd been delivered from bondage. And, and we as Christians, when we get saved, we're delivered from slavery and we're de- delivered from the bondage of sin. <laughs> get out there, get a little thirsty and begin crying out and maybe looking back. And that's what the Israelites were doing. They, say, they were saying, oh, that we were back in Egypt. And that's when Moses struck the rock. God instructed Moses to take the rod and strike the rock and the water flowed out. And we know from 1 Corinthians that, that they all followed that spiritual rock, and they all drank that same spiritual drink, and that rock was Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, to any man thirst, let him come. Jesus told the woman of the well, I'll, I'll give you water to drink, which you'll never thirst again. Now, somebody's interested in that, where I'll never thirst again. As long as you turn to Jesus, he'll satisfy your spiritual thirst. Now, when I, I just give you that to give you a background, but what I want to ask you this morning is, do your prayers matter? Now, you sit out there in the pew and you say, yes, yes, that's the right answer. And, and, and I would take it for granted that that would be the answer given by Christ. Do your prayers matter? But, you know, somebody that's, that's struggling with their faith or somebody that's struggling to, to know. I've, I've actually talked to someone that said, I, I really don't even know if my prayers matter. I pray because I'm supposed to. I don't, I don't even really know if it does any good, but I pray because I'm supposed to. I want to let you know today that your prayers do matter. And I want to show you by way of illustration, by looking here in Exodus chapter 17, and we'll start at verse number 8. And it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So you have some in the valley, you got some on the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under the sun. That's our passage. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. 
So the first thing you need to understand is the battle. Just by way of introduction, the battle is taking place. Now we're looking at a historical battle because the Bible's a historical book, amen? It's not a book just of, of allegory. It's not just a book of, of uh, symbolism, but it has symbolism in it. God's able to, through history, create symbolism for us to look back on. The Bible says these things happen to them for our example, for examples to us. We look back and we see some things. So I just want to take a little devotional lesson from this morning as we look at Exodus chapter 17, just a devotional lesson. This battle is taking place down in the valley with Amalek. It's a physical battle, but there's also a spiritual battle that's taking place. Amen. Amen. When you've got friends and you've got families, and I'll say when you are going through any battle, when you're going through any battle in your life, and it doesn't matter whether it's bills and budget, it doesn't matter whether it's addiction, it doesn't matter whether it's choosing the right groceries to last you through the week. When you go through anything in life, there's a spiritual component and there's a physical component. There's having to take care of it physically. We live in this world. We're still a part of this world. We still exist in this world. We have to do things. We can't go up on the mountaintop. We can't be a pole sitter. You heard about the pole sitters. They had the the long poles, and the guy would sit up there, and, man, he was spiritual because he could sit up there with his legs crossed, and and he lived up on, on that pole, and he was away from all sin. He'd separated himself from everything. We can't do that. We have to get up. We have to go to work. We have to deal with people that disagree with us. Amen. I know y'all are saying, who are you talking to? I'm just, I'm picking. We got to, we, I mean, you just have to deal with things. You got to pay the bills. You have to be here in this earth. But there's also a spiritual component to our life. Now, you heard me on and on about the flesh and the spirit, and that's exactly what it is. Galatians 5.17 says, you know, the, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you would. So there's that battle that takes place. It's flesh and spirit. But I don't want to go there so much today because people go through all kinds of battles. They deal with all kinds of things. And there's all kinds of reasons that we pray for them. Someone may be in jail. Someone may be in the hospital. And we pray for them. I want to tell you today, prayer matters to you when you're on the hill. It matters for the one that's on the hill. And prayer matters to you when you're in the valley. And prayer matters to those who aren't even in the battle. And prayer matters to God. So just a little devotional message. Y'all stay with me this morning. On the hill, look at uh, verse number 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses is up on the hill. He has nothing in his hands. He's not swinging a sword. He's not down there cheering them on. They can't hear him. You know, like the ball game, you get up in the stadiums and you shout at your team because you think it's going to make it. Get it, get it, get it. <laughs> you think it's going to make a difference. But it does make a difference when you're on the hill. Moses is up on the hill. He's not swinging the sword or anything, but he raises his hands up to God. You know, that's like us lifting our hands up to God in prayer for someone. We can't be down there every day with them in the battle. We can't be down there every day with them in the jail cell. We can't be down there with them every day in the hospital. But we can be there for them in prayer. You have Moses, and he's the spiritual leader. 
He's a spiritual leader of Israel. He was a man chosen by God to lead the people of Israel. But I'm going to tell you this applies whether you're a father, mother, brother, or friend. Your spiritual leaders, you ought to support them. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Your pastor, you ought to support them. Amen. Your teachers, you ought to support them. I mean, the pastor cares for you. He loves you. But you have your children that you love. You have your family that you love, that you pray for. And that makes you a spiritual leader in a sense. But it's like I said, you can't be down there with them doing the battle, but you can lift up your arms in prayer. And notice what happened when Moses lifted his arms, Israel was prevailing in the battle. But something as simple as lowering his arms, he got tired. It's hard to hold up your hands. I never found out how hard it was till I was in boot camp. You know, and instead of beating you with a rod, you know, they just make you stand out there with a heavy 1900, early 1900s rifle. Wood through and through <laughs> with a nice solid steel barrel. And you understood how every piece added weight to that thing as you stood there outside the, co- the company commander's office, holding, arms start shaking, <laughs> and you wish you had an errand in a herd to hold them up. But it, it gets tired, and I tell you, it can wear you out praying for someone day after day, year after year, and you look at them, you watch them. And I think of a mother praying for her child. And when I say child, I'm talking grown child. I'm talking young child. They go off to school. You can't be with them every step of the way. That's one of the hardest days for mama, isn't it? That first day of school. I don't know. Nowadays, I think they're like, (laughs) I I think they've been taking care of their kids now. They're ready to get them back in school. But it's a hard thing. Either way, it's a hard thing to let go of the child, you know, because you don't know what they're going to face. I mean, when they get to school, you remember when you went to school, you remember what it's like when when someone insulted you or when a gang of kids came up against you or or the boy that wanted to fight you or you remember, and some of y'all said, what were you picked on? No, I'm just telling you. (laughs) Dee Dee, my ex-cheerleader wife, sitting back there smiling and nodding. Say, yeah, my nerd husband. No, I wasn't beat up in school. (laughs) It doesn't matter because the mother fears for her child, and that way she she doesn't want them to have to go through those things. And then as they get older and they begin to get these friends that pull them away, and you can see the battle down in the valley from the hilltop. You can look down and you can, or you can look at your child and you can see. You know, when the guy pulls up and the music's banging out of the car and he's about to take your precious daughter off somewhere. Probably not. But you know what I'm saying? She's no longer listening to you. Now she's going off. She's in the battle. She's in the valley on her own with what she set herself up for. And it's a spiritual battle that takes place. There's the flesh and the spirit truly at at work and at at battle flesh lusting against the spirit and all you can do is pray and you can see and sometimes and i've seen this in my own life i this probably never happened to y'all i know it never happened to miss johnny but you might forget to pray you you might not be as spiritual one week from the next 
And then you find out that somebody that you said you would pray for, you find out that they're, they're starting to struggle. It's like Moses, those hands get weary, he lets them down. And Amalek began to prevail. And he tries to lift the hands back up. You get back on your knees. Lord, please help. And you can't, you can't say that it's you directly. But God uses us. Just like God used the prayers of Moses for the people. You remember when the people, <laughs> the people, the people. You remember when they murmured and complained? We'll see that over in Numbers chapter 14 when they were about to go into the promised land. When they were about to go into the promised land and they said, no, there's giants over there. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, the Lord will deliver them into our hand. They said, no, they're giants. What would you bring us here to kill us? Let's appoint a captain and go back to Egypt. Where all they did was beat us and make us work. That's, that's not Bible, but, you know, that's what they're saying. Spiritual leaders, Paul praying for the church. When you read Paul's letters, you, you see his concern for the church. You see how he's looking after the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we know how messed up the Corinthians were. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ. In, in everything, you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see Paul's concern there in Corinthians? that they may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying. He's thanking God for the grace that he's given now. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Over in Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all saints. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of God. He's praying for them while they're in the valley. Paul can't be with every church. And we know this. We know this. We can't be with someone through every step they take. 
But when you ask yourself, do my prayers matter? Yes, they matter. And yes, you'll see an effect. You may not directly see it. You may not directly know. There may just be a time when someone comes and gives you a testimony and tells you what your prayers meant to them. What was going on? I I think of times, and, and they may not even know it, but I think of times that I've gone through struggles and I've talked to somebody on the phone, I've been praying for you. And it's like, well, I wonder if they were the ones praying about one o'clock in the morning when this happened. When things turned around, when that battle seemed to ease, and when Amalek, when, when Israel began to prevail over Amalek, I wonder if that's when they were praying and turning up their prayers toward heaven. So it matters to you on the hill. And then you have Aaron and Hur. You have the rod of God in Moses' hand, and you have Aaron and Hur. You have Moses praying for the people. You have Aaron and Hur supporting Moses. See, they all had a vested interest in what took place down in the valley. Down in the valley, it wasn't just two groups of people fighting. It wasn't a ball game. This was a real-life battle. This was a, a fight to the death going on. And down there, they could, they could see off in the distance, and they could see the sword swinging, and they could see the, the blood spraying, and they could see the sweat, and they could see the tears. And they could see as, as Joshua, as Moses' hands began to lower, and they could see Joshua begin to fall back, and the men that were with him, and they could see Amalek begin to prevail, and, and they would fall back, and they're trying to beat back. And Moses lifted up his hands, and they look over there, and they see Moses with his hands in the air, and they're just shaking. And Moses, probably with a tear in his eye, maybe, he doesn't want to let his hands down because of what's happening to their friends and their family down there, their brothers in arms down there. And so Aaron and her look over at him, and they, they move Moses back. There's a rock behind him, and they set him down on that rock. And Aaron and her, they get over there and they set up under a rock and they put an arm on each shoulder, one on each side, and they're supporting him. Because if they let his arms go down, then they know that their brothers are in trouble. So they support him till the setting of the sun. Let me tell you, your prayers for the pastor, your prayers for your mother, your prayers for your father, they matter. Supporting each other matters when we're in this battle together. And you say, what's the battle? I don't know. I said the battle may be buying groceries. It doesn't matter what it is. People go through all kinds of problems. Now, I'll grant you the the, the typology here, Amalek is a type of the flesh. People battle the flesh all the time. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, let's lift each other up through every day. Let's support each other through every day. So prayers matter when you're on the hill. I once once talked to a woman who was in school during World War II. And uh, she told me, she told me in the course of that conversation, she said, I remember when I was in school and the word got out that D-Day was happening, you know, I don't think they let that out beforehand. There was a lot of secrecy involved in D-Day. There was a lot of secrecy for that to happen. 
They wanted the Germans to think they were coming up on one side of the beach, on one side of the land, because the Germans knew there was going to be an attack. They didn't know when. They, they, they wanted the Germans to think they were coming over here while they launched a massive army to the shores of Normandy. A lot of men died that day on Normandy Beach. They, uh, they, they, they were so secretive that they, they took a body of a dead man. They put notes on him about an invasion plan. They put a false invasion plan on him and let him wash up on the shores of France. And I had the Germans looking over here instead of over here. All these things that took place for that to happen. How many things could go wrong? At how many points could it go wrong for that to go bad? And as bad as it was, it wasn't as bad as it could be. But she was in school when they found out about the Normandy invasion, and she said, and, and the conversation was about prayer and prayer in school, and she said, she said, uh, my teacher stopped the class and said, let's pray for all the men that are in battle today. I tell you, the prayers mattered. There were men climbing sheer cliffs that day that had been training for months for it. There were men getting cut down inside of the, before they could even get out of the boat. There were men getting ashore. In spite of all the opposition, we still made it to shore and we're still able. We're not speaking German today, I can tell you that. Unless you want to. I'm just saying, your prayers matter. And those prayers of those little kids going up. And how many other classrooms across the country, and how many other families, how many mothers with those stars in their windows praying for those men in combat. The prayers matter in the hill. Let me tell you where else the prayers matter. The prayers matter when you're in the valley, when you're the one fighting the battle. Verse number 11 It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And I didn't read verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. When he sat there on, Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. I tell you, when you're the one in the valley, when you're the one in the battle, when you're the one facing the struggle, there are people that struggle with addiction. There are people that struggle with faith. There are people that struggle with bills. There are people that just struggle. And there's drama in their lives. And if they could change it, they would. Some people don't know how. Some people don't know where. But we need to pray for them. And it matters when you're the one, when you're the one that says, Lord, I keep doing the same thing over and over again. I need your help, Lord. I, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep going down this road. Lord, I need help to overcome. It's real nice to know when you're in the valley that someone's up on that hill praying to God that maybe doesn't have all the clutter that you have in your life, that maybe doesn't have all the trouble and all the struggle that you have, and they're turning to God in prayer, and you know that because of that sin, they know because of that sin, or whatever it is, whatever it is you're going through when you're in the hospital or whatever, it's good to know that someone's up on the hill praying for you and interceding on your behalf, that their hands are lifted up. And it matters. It's like I said, there's been times, you know, somebody told me they're praying, and it's like, man, I wonder if it was this time, because this is when the change happened. 
This is when the tide turned. This is when Amalek started to fall back. You know, when you're in the valley and you're fighting the battle, you can't really see whether you're winning or losing sometimes. Up on the hilltop, you can see the motion back and forth. You can't quite see all the specifics down in there, but when you're down in the valley and you're fighting the battle and you're swinging the sword, all you see is the next man behind you and the next man in front of you. And you're trying to take Amalek out and you're struggling to fight that battle and there's sweat in your eyes and there's blood and there's tears and running out of breath. There's exhaustion. Those bones. You know, I was in a fight in high school one time, more than once. I'll never forget, though, this fight. As soon as the guy hit me, all of a sudden, it's like my body said, I'm out of here. (laughs) I can't imagine what it's like to fight in actual combat or something like that. But I know spiritually what it's like to battle. I know you just can't quite tell. I remember, yeah, I got that hit, and it's like all the strength left me, and all of a sudden it felt like I was swinging two noodles around, pool noodles. They pulled me off of him. (laughs) But I'm the one that walked around with a swollen face for a week. But when you're down in the valley, you can't quite see if you're winning. You you ever watch somebody, you ever watch somebody that goes through the drama and goes through the trouble and you're and you look and they'll say something and it's like, oh no, here it goes. Amalek's about to prevail. Say, well, I know I need to do all this, and I know, and and you're like, yeah, yeah, tide's turning. And then all of a sudden they say, well, I'm just going to go do this. And it's like, no, no. And you can't run their life for them. You got to run your own race, stay in your own lane, but you can pray for them. You can pray for them. It matters when you're in the valley. They may feel some relief. They may begin to feel overcome. But they're directly affected down in the valley. And I would say you are directly affected when you're in the valley. Because I know every one of you have been through a battle down in the valley where it's hard to look up. Let me tell you who else your prayers matter to. It matters to people who aren't even in the battle. I, I tell you, there's... There's storms that a Christian will go through and people will watch. Somebody that you've been a testimony to, somebody that knows, you know, you're the one in the valley, somebody that knows what kind of struggles you've had. Somebody sees somebody lose a family member or sees somebody go through a trial, a serious trial, and they watch. They're not in the battle. They're not praying because they're not a Christian. But see, Moses told Joshua, he said, choose us out men. It wasn't the whole army of Israel that went out. It was chosen men of Joshua that were in that battle, that were fighting. There were others that were left behind. There, There were others that stayed behind. Maybe they were old. Maybe they were sick. We know that Amalek was grabbing the hindmost. We know that from Deuteronomy. And these choice ones are out there, but the ones that weren't there, the battle mattered to them. The prayer mattered to them because that was their mother. 
that was their brother. That was their son out there in that battle. And see Moses up on the hill, and I can imagine that some of them watched, some of them couldn't bear to watch. You know, the first battle of the Civil War, I didn't write it down, I can't remember. It wasn't Gettysburg. Doesn't matter. The first battle of the Civil War they had down there, I think, in Virginia. Oh, this is really bad illustration when you got to say, I think. But they'd set up chairs to watch. Huh? Pickett's Charge. They set up chairs out there to watch the battle. Well, they didn't have TV like we did. They didn't know how bad it could get. They just knew the glorious battles in the books. They sat out there, and it was like a Sunday picnic. I mean, bring chicken, sit out there, and here we go. They're going to go at it, like watching a boxing match. But it was a whole different war. It was a whole different type of warfare. Them 50 caliber balls and them guns, when they hit a piece of bone in a leg, it would just shatter the whole leg. That man was crippled for the rest of his life if he lived by that, after that filthy doctor got a hold of him. They had everybody else's blood on him. And they sat out there and they watched that battle and they watched those young men dying out there and all of a sudden they were hit with the reality of what this war was going to be. And I tell you, that's what it's like. But there's those that are watching the battle and they care. Someone who overcomes an addiction or someone who overcomes something. When you're praying for the one that's in the battle, when, when God gives them the victory, it also matters to those that are watching. Because I tell you what, even though people don't claim to know God or, or don't know God or have, have trouble believing in God, when they see what someone goes through and when they see what those prayers do in their life, they say, you know, there must be something. And it becomes a testimony. And that person that you've been praying for could turn into two people, three people, four people who are touched by what that person went through. Do y'all follow me on that? You never know who it's going to reach. You never know what one act of faithfulness is going to do for someone else's life. I remember, and, and I've told you over and over, uh, I've told you over and over about when I was 11 years old and my neighbor came over to my house, you know, and invited me to go to the revival meeting where I got saved. Yeah, I really don't know. I've never thought of her having any conflict, but I just wonder, was there a choice between watching TV or going over to ask Keith to the, to the revival meeting? Was there a choice that she made? Was there some sort of listening? There, were, there had to be something where God said, why don't you go ask that boy next door? You know? So not only does it matter to you when you're on the hill, not only does prayer matter to you when you're down in the valley and you're fighting and you're struggling, and not only does prayer matter to you, to the people that aren't even there or aren't even directly involved in the battle. Your prayers matter to God. Here they were in God's will. In Deuteronomy 25, 18, he's talking about Amalek. He said, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee. And when thou was faint and weary, he feared not God. 
God's talking about destroying Amalek. He's saying, remember Amalek. Well, from that, we learned that Amalek was like a lion watching the gazelles, watching a pack of gazelles, or a herd of gazelles, watching the herd, and watching for the weakest ones. You know, the lion, he doesn't go after the strongest one. He doesn't go after the leader. But you can imagine this line of Israelites as they walk. Somebody's got to be in the rear, and it's going to be the one that can't walk as fast. You remember boot camp, Charlie? You were probably the tall one in the front. <laughs> the tall jokers in the front had a long stride, and us poor guys in the back were struggling to keep up and keep in step. And sometimes you had to do a little double step and not get caught just to keep up. But somebody, you know, in the church, we have those that, that, that are strong in their faith, and they, and they stay in the Word of God, and they don't struggle. And then there's others that, that are struggling to just make it to church or just to, to, to open their Bible or just to pray. They're struggling for that. And Amalek being a type of the flesh, you know, the Bible talks about the devil being a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And those that are the weakest are the ones that get attacked. Just like the lion, he doesn't go after the strongest one in the herd. He looks for that one that's a little sickly. Looks for that one that stumbles a little in the back. And when nobody's looking, when none of the others are looking, he gets out there and snatches that one. We ought to be concerned about the weakest of our members. But it matters to God when he sees that one struggling and he sees them left behind and he, he moves on your heart. He said, pray for them. It matters to God. For some reason, God uses us I say for some reason it's because of his, his choice, his, his sovereign choice. God uses us to pray for people. So it matters to God what we do. It also matters to God that you're in his will. You can... Fight the battle alone, you know, and I, I think, and, and not to pick on, I guess, but uh, learning a little bit about AA, you know, they, they try to be all things to all people. So they say, you know, whatever your spiritual guidance is, and it's like there's no power in that. It, it'll convince you. It'll, it'll send you. You're fighting the battle alone no matter what. But when you know the God, the creator of the universe, when you know Jesus Christ, his son, is your savior, you have the God of all creation in your corner. Do y'all follow me on that? Y'all should, but I may not be saying it clear. So it matters to God that you're in his will. Let me just give the illustration here. So at a later time, when... The Israelites had uh, gotten close to the promised land. Over in Numbers chapter 14, if you want to look at it. Numbers chapter 14. They got close to the promised land, and God had them send out spies to spy the land. And they sent out the 12 spies, and they came back, and I already talked about them, and they came back afraid and frightened. And they, you know... Joshua and Caleb said, we got grapes as big as, we, we got huge grapes. We got, it's a land filled with milk and honey. 
And the other ones that came back said, no, there's giants in the land. And they had everyone afraid of the giants, and everyone was ready to go back. So over in Deuteronomy chapter 14, Numbers, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 14. I had Deuteronomy in my head for the other one. Deuteronomy 14 says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation and said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us not to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which was, were one of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Talking about going into battle. Joshua and Caleb, they're ready to go into battle. They know God is on their side. And in verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it for thou broughtest up this people of might. Moses told him, he said, it would be a bad testimony, Lord. They would say that you just brought them out here to destroy them. He prayed, he interceded on their behalf. Moses is in the right. He's still, in a sense, up on the hill praying for the people. He says in verse number 17, Now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people. Verse 20, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have tempted me now these ten times and had not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So God takes away their opportunity to go into the promised land and they, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And in Numbers chapter 14, the people realize their mistake. And they say, no, we'll, we'll go now. You ever known a kid to do it? No, I'll do it now. It's too late. Come here. I mean, that's usually when you got the paddle in your hand and their hand. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, no, it's too late. But they said, Numbers 14, 40, and they rose up early in the morning, got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. 
Let me tell you, when you're fighting in the battle, in the, in the valley and God's on your side, that's one thing. But going up without God, you, you need to be in God's will. If you want God in your corner, either as a friend of the world, is it enmity with God? They're those that don't even know Jesus Christ. That don't have a relationship with God. That expect to fight the battle on their own. And we can pray for them. And we should. Not everybody's going to know God. But we pray for those that we love. We pray for those that we know. We pray that they will come to know Jesus Christ. We pray for them in the battle. But we also pray that they know the one who gives the victory in the battle. Amen. First John 5.14, and this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And Second Peter 3.9 tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you all stand with me. Do my prayers matter, preacher? It's easy to say yes. Sometimes when you're up on the hilltop and your arms get weak, you know that your prayers matter. You see people starting to fall back. When you're down in the valley and someone's praying for you, you know that prayer matters. And prayer matters to God. So let us not be weary in well-doing. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the one who gives the victory? Jesus Christ has promised us eternal victory. He gave his life so that we could have eternal victory over death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. All this is just spiritual talk, just spiritual mumbo jumbo, unless you know Jesus Christ, unless you know him as your savior. He is your link to God. The Bible Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you know him? Miss Maxine?